you find that today you're pulled toward newer, better, bigger things? Is your world driven by getting to the next success, to the next win, to the next upgrade? Do you struggle to find satisfaction, contentment, and consistency? An effort to stay ahead in the game is debt building up around you. Are you out of energy? Are you out of hope? What if you were able to let go of that feeling to strive for more? What if you could live in a place of peace, knowing you were taken care of? What if you no longer needed to worry about measuring up? What if living with less is actually living with more? special day. <laughs> that was pretty cool. The baptisms were pretty cool today. And I, man, I, man, I was excited about that. Uh, it's just something when, when God is at moving a heart, it doesn't matter what age, at what, what time of their life, as long as we're on this side of eternity, uh, it's time for a decision. And I hope every one of you have made that decision. I really do. And if you haven't, uh, maybe today's that day. Who knows? Um, but, um, but it's exciting to be a part of that. Uh, lots going on, guys. Uh, I, I told the first service I'm going to have to pretty much stay on script because if I go off, I don't know if I'll be able to make this uh, just the way it is. But uh, a lot's been happening in our world. Uh, you, you're, you're aware of some of it, but um, I'll, I'll give you a quick report. Uh, maybe two weeks ago, you saw a big yellow Penske truck out there with a car uh, towing behind it, and that was ours. Uh, we hopped in it after the service, and then I had two, two of those, two 26-foot trucks. Annette drove the other one. I drove one of them, and, sh and she drove as far as Spokane, and we picked up my friend Steve Altmeyer, who, who uh, drove the other truck all the way and followed us, and, and we were real grateful for that. Um, we moved into our house uh, uh, four and a half days later. We arrived. All of our stuff was, was not broken, which was a miracle in and of itself, <laughs> the way that uh, we drove and the, the shakes and all that that are going on the way, but... Um, uh, really excited about that. Just, just uh, you know, two weeks ago, Gary Johnson was here and prayed over us. Do you remember that? And he prayed that the angels would surround us. Now, let me give one quick testimony. We're driving through eastern Wyoming. Not a lot out in eastern Wyoming. And we had passed through probably the one significant town, Gillette, and we were about 40 miles to the next one, and then after that, there'd be about another 40 miles. But the check engine light came on the truck, and that is so unnerving because you don't know if it's just going to stop in the middle of nowhere. So we're calling ahead to Sundance, Wyoming to see if they have a thing where they can plug it in and uh, figure out what electronically is going on. And uh, while, while Annette was on the phone with this one place in Sundance, the only place in town that could even potentially do this, they said, oh, yeah, we've got one of those, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we can test it. As I'm pulling off on the exit, the tire blows out of the trailer totally disintegrates the fender and everything else. And Steve behind us sees all this white smoke billowing out of the trailer. I never knew it. But he calls and he says, man, you're on fire, you know. And, and it was a quarter mile from the exit. And I'm telling you, 40 miles this way, that way, we would have been dead in the water and it would have been probably a day out of our schedule. But we pulled off. I limped into this one station and, um, and the gal looked at and just shook her, shook her head and she said, that's not good. <laughs> And she says, I don't know if I've got a tire. And she had one tire uh, that would have fit that, a 14-inch tire. 
and, uh, and then come to find out she didn't even have the right tool to test the, the electronics. And so God was so good to, to give us the grace. We got the tire on. We got it. Uh, I used a sledgehammer to, to, foot, to put the fender back in place and put a bolt in it, and we got back on the road. And so anyway, it was just one of the little adventures. But, you know, you go for four and a half days, there's always bound to be something. But we got there, and we were grateful. And if that wasn't enough, Friday we got to welcome in our uh, number six grandson uh, into the world. <laughs> that, that is uh, little Kingston James West, nine pounds, eight ounces. Takes after his grandpa. He's a big kid. I, I, as, I, as I was saying his name yesterday, I, I thought, I wonder if we're going to call him King James, you know, uh, for short. But... Um, He's doing well, mom's doing well, and that's back there with, uh, with Allie, and, and we'll be there till she comes out with the kids on Friday, and then we'll celebrate next weekend uh, together. So lots going on in our world, and I, you know, this, this message could easily, I could have just gleaned from these 15 years and just the last shot, you know, to, to be able to share, but I just want to sum, sum up two things with you before we dive into our message for today that, uh, that was the script I talked about. One of those is that in my journey with the Lord, uh, one of the things that, that has meant very much to me was the words that Jesus said to one of his apostles, and he gave us the clearest exhibition of what love for him meant when he asked the question, do you love me? Do you love me? And that's quite a question. He asked Peter that. Do you remember in the latter part of the book of John? And Peter, of course, said, yeah, I do. And, and what did Jesus say? He said, then feed my sheep. And so of all the things that I could glean from over the, the years of ministry here at North Shore, the one thing I know in my heart is that whenever I stood before you, my highest priority, the highest value in my journey was to make sure that we, we had sufficient food from the word of God and to feed the sheep. What amazes me is that you came back week after week, you know, to actually uh, draw from that. Uh, maybe, <laughs> I shouldn't probably say this, but maybe it's like a stray cat, you know, if you feed them long enough, then they'll, they'll keep coming. No. But all I know is, is that it has been my privilege to be able to serve that up. I know I've shared this before. A lot of times I treat it like I do my own diet, that uh, it's a matter of volume. And so sometimes maybe it went a little long, but I always felt like I never want anybody to go away and say, well, I didn't get fed today, or I didn't get enough today. We want to give you more than, maybe more than you can handle. I don't know. But, um, but that has been my privilege. And the second thing that has been deep in my heart, my understanding, is Jesus' words uh, in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And I'm going to tell you the truth. that Every time I've stood before you, and I, I virtually mean every time, I see the look in your eyes. I can, I can sense I, there's almost a leaning forward with anticipation and expectation and a hungering for what's about to come. And I believe that's the reason why God would use these time and even an instrument and I just consider just a, a half a vessel that he would use to cl clarify that promise that if you're hungering and thirsting he's going to fill your heart 
And it doesn't matter who the vessel is that he uses to do that. It's his promise that is fulfilled. And I just happen to be the, the privileged one to, to be in that proximity to be able to pass that on. But that's the promise of the Lord. I've always believed that. And so I've always kind of looked for those that are hungering and, and thirsting. And you have been those folks. And it's one of the reasons why I believe God will continue to speak to your heart and to bless you if you keep that hungering and thirsting in your heart. He'll bless you. He'll fill you. And I, I am absolutely convinced that the, the days ahead are going to be even better. Last weekend, I, I sat in a service that's likely going to be our church home, it's a Northview Church in the Indianapolis area. Pastor Steve Poe, uh, who actually I've known for a couple of years, three years, uh, gave a message on Elisha, the prophet Elisha. He preached on Elijah a year ago, which I happened to be preaching on that as well, and so I kind of was living with this. But his message resonated with a bold faith. And he's, one of the first things out of the gate was Elisha asked for Elijah that when, when you go, would you, would you pour out a double portion, a double blessing? Remember that? And he said, well, if you see me, uh, go, and then that, that'll happen. If you don't see me, then, then it's not going to happen. And, of course, the chariot's of fire. I've kind of prayed that that would be a nice way to go out, a chariot of fire, but <laughs> probably not going to happen. But I do want you to know this, that my prayer, my prayer for your new pastor, Scott Harris, whatever blessing or, you know, portion I had, I'm praying that he will have a double portion, and I want you to pray for him in that same way. Because I'm convinced that the God of the universe knows exactly what's going on. He has got something even better, more than we could imagine. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the prayers and support over the years. But I, what will bless me the most is if you will lift up your new pastor with your prayer, with your support, with your encouragement, with your participation, with your attendance, all of those things. Come alongside of him and, um, and pray for that double portion, all right? That's, that's all I'm going to say for now. I, I don't have to preach a message next week, but I'll likely say something. Uh, but, uh, but that'll be a great time of celebrating and just, just uh, enjoying what God has done. Today, we are in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. And we're going to uh, spend some time there looking at a story that hopefully we can glean from. And as usual, we've got some Bibles available. You'll see ushers walking down the aisle and uh, tap their, their uh, shoulder and say, hey, let me use one of those today. Um, as they're doing that, would you just pray with me? Father, uh, we... We thank you for the worship today. Thank you just for being able to say out loud how good you are, how faithful you have been. And I know today that as we come to your word, once again, you will fulfill your promise. That as your people, all of us, like sheep, come to you and come to, to the green grass that you provide through your word. I pray that it will feed our hearts, that it will inspire us, that it will challenge us, and that we won't go away the same. So I trust you for this today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. We, uh, we have been in a series, and I thought about this actually very, um, quite a few months ago. And as I got to know Gary Johnson, who is the author of the book that we've been looking at too much, uh, Living in a Land of More with Less, um, I, 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 just, I, I really resonated with that message and the need to hear the things that uh, he was kind of putting down that way. Excited that he could come and join us a couple of weeks ago, but... 
But as we laid this series out for October, these four weeks, uh, I knew I was going to kick things off the first week, and I, I kind of knew I was going to do this last week. I, I didn't know maybe fully how appropriate it was for the things, how they laid out, because some of this was laid out for us, of how appropriate this story is to the circumstances that we even face today. It's about a king, and it's about finishing strong, or not, and to learn sometimes from the negative or from the adversity uh, as much as we do from somebody's successes. And so we're going to be looking at that. But if you're just joining us or if you just hit and miss this month, let me, could I just kind of sum up where we've been the last several weeks. The first week, we, uh, we introduced to you this idea. In fact, Gary kind of, kind of presented this in his book that four principles coupled with four practices are going to result in real profit. And the four practices, we know, were the debt-free living, the budgeting, the saving, and giving. Those are the four practices. The four principles is what we've kind of been going down with these messages. The first week was the principle of gratitude. That we're acknowledging that God, the God of the universe, is the one that provides everything for us, doesn't he? We looked at Deuteronomy and some of Moses' instructions in his letter to the the children of Israel just before they're going into the promised land, and he's reminding them, don't forget that it is God who makes all of this available to you. Don't start thinking, oh, well, we did this ourselves, or we provided this for ourselves. No, it is, it is God who has blessed you with this promised land and everything that it encompassed. So how do you show your gratitude? You usually, uh, in a tangible way, do that by setting aside a first part. And that's what we've called a tie. That's what, going back to, you know, the time of uh, Abraham, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, but you honor God with what your sustenance is, what your resource is. And you, you put that aside to honor him out of gratitude. Uh, second week, uh, Gary talked about contentment. That was the second principle, contentment. And that's really at the core of of not going into debt. You remember he said this over and over, reinforced it several times, that we buy things with money that we don't have, uh, you know, to impress people that we don't even know. Remember that? And, uh, and it's true. And at the core of that is whether or not we have experienced the contentment that the Lord, the Lord allows us to have. Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things, whether with great or with, with little. He says, I'll, I'll be content. And so that was the second principle. And then last week, Scott was talking about trust. Trusting God. And often, this is exactly what it comes down to. Do you believe that God is trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? If he said, listen, if you'll, if you'll set aside this first part, you watch and see if I won't pour out a blessing that, that you won't even be able to contain. Do you believe God when he says that to you? And that's what it comes down to. It's an issue of trust. Scott took you back to Abraham. Because a lot of times when I hear people talk about tithing, they say, well, isn't that Old Testament law? Isn't that just the law? We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, the New Testament. And friends, I want to remind you that the idea of a tithe goes back to Abraham. That's preceding the time of Moses, preceding the law. It's going back to the very foundation of faith. And when when Abraham went before this priest, Melchizedek, this mysterious Melchizedek, the king of Salem or Jerusalem, uh, I believe it was a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus himself. And I think he recognized that there was something very special. It's not, uh, you know, 
a deity before him, and his instinct was is to carve out a tenth of what he had and to honor him with that. That's where it begins. And so even today, last week, Scott, uh, I know, introduced you to uh, these commitment cards and gave these. Many of you turned them in last week. Some of you have been thinking about that, maybe considering or praying about that. Um, and if you, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end today to just, just be able to declare, this is what I intend to do. It's a commitment. And I don't want to lighten that. I don't want to make that easier than, than it should because a commitment, a vow, is something that we make to the Lord. And some of you are going to take this step for the very first time, and I'm excited for you because God's promise is true. Many of you in this room have found him to be faithful, just like we sang, haven't you? He is faithful, and when you set aside that first part, he said, see if I will not pour out a blessing like the floodgates of heaven opening up in your life. I'll protect you from the, the pests that eat up your crops. You know, I'll watch over you. I'll take care of you. I'll just do things in a tangible way that, that you know, you know would not uh, be there if I, if I was to withdraw myself. I will be there. I will commit myself to you. So I'm looking forward to those who will make that commitment. And, and uh, if you're still, you know, kind of wondering about that this last weekend, uh, the theme, gratitude, contentment, trust. Today we're going to talk about humility. Because underlying all of this is just a, an accurate sense of who we are in light of who he is uh, in, in humility. So for that, I'm going to take you to a story. It's a story about a king. Maybe you haven't heard much about him, but today you're going to know a little bit more about the king Uzziah uh, in Chronicles chapter 26. So if you have your notes handy... Um, maybe you can take him out. I'm just going to kind of walk you through a bit of his resume, if you will, is, is the chronology of his, his life. We pick up in chapter 26, verse 1, and we start off by reading, All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. 16 years old, he became the king said he built Eloth, and he restored it to Judah. After the king uh, slept with his fathers, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. I'm going to start off two parts of this message. The first one, I, I kind of want to recite the accomplishments of King Uzziah. Okay? This is the stuff that uh, was attributed to him, and he will chronicle this for us. Now, the first thing that that catches my attention in verse 4 and 5 is that he was faithful, all right? He's one of the few kings whose life was summed up by verse 4. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Friends, that is such a powerful verse. I don't know how much you know about Bible history or you get into the Old Testament and the Kings and Chronicles, but there are precious few kings whose lives were summed up that way. Most of them were wicked. They led the people astray. God had to punish. God had to, uh, you know, pour out even curses on them for the stuff that they did, but not Uzziah. He sought the Lord, and as long as he sought the Lord, the Bible says that he was successful. He would be prosperous. And why did that happen? Can I give you a little backdrop here? Uh, Uzziah 
his dad, Amaziah, was assassinated. Okay? That's why he became the king. His grandfather was subject to a conspiracy that led to, to his oust, ousting. His great-grandfather only served for one year as king before he was assassinated. All right? That's your heritage. Now, you just have become king and you're 16 years old. What would you be thinking about? Think, think about would you be looking over your shoulder wondering who's going to come up behind you with a big dagger and get you? Probably. I mean, can you see how, how reasonable it would be to expect his life would be marked by, by fear and by anxiety? Uh, you know, and what would probably translate to that would be a, a, a king that would be oppressive, you know, that would try to hang on and try to protect himself. I mean, we've read in history about those, like in the Roman Empire, that they just became crazy because they were so jealous or whatever. It would have been reasonable. But it says that he sought the Lord. Now, why? I, I think this part is really, really cool. The scripture mentions a guy named Zechariah, who's a prophet. And he says that Zechariah came alongside of him and kind of mentored him in godly ways. And he, he instructed him in the fear of the Lord. Do you know what we call that around here at, at North Shore? Discipleship. When we hear about discipleship, that is what it is about. You investing yourself into another spiritual generation, into another life. And I hope none of us here will ever dismiss that and the power that that has from generation to generation to generation. If we don't do that, friends, the church of Jesus Christ is only one generation from not being at all. Isn't that true? We have to pass it down. That's what, one of the reasons why this baptism was so beautiful today. When you see multiple generation being passed down, that's what we do. And Zechariah invested in this young man, and it says that he grew up in the fear, the the, the nature of, of honoring God and seeking him. And so, true to God's promise, uh, the prosperity flowed. Look at some of the ways in which it manifests itself. I, I would list, uh, first of all, he was a fortifier. In other words, he built walls and, and strengthened Israel. Uh, what I see this almost biologically is like an immune system, that he had a strong immune system. He had the ability to defend themselves against enemies that were coming in. Here's how the scripture puts it. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem and the corner gate and the valley gate and at the ang angle, and he fortified them. And so they had strong defense. This was to his credit. Another thing that interestingly is noted, he was a farmer. Uh, he built towers in the wilderness and he built cisterns because he had large herds, both in uh, Shepila and also in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but growing up in Central California, around agriculture and everything, I, I know the heart of a farmer. My dad was a farmer, and I know there's just something about it that you, you want to plant, you, you have the patience to wait, you see the harvest grow, and, and it's just your life. And apparently this must have been his, his background. Uh, but probably more than anything, he was a fighter. He was a fighter. And he, uh, first of all, he fought wars. Look at verse 6. He went out and he made war against the Philistines, and he broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of um, Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities nearby territories of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. 
And so uh, apparently God blessed him with victory after victory. Uh, his reputation began to grow. People feared him. Uh, that's evidenced in one of the scriptures where it says the Ammonites would come and give him tribute, which means they're basically saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for leaving us alone and not wiping us out because we know you have the power, we know you have the might to do that. Did he have the might? Well, look at the warriors that he had. Scripture says 307,500 that he had at his disposal, basically. Under their command was an army who could make war with mighty power and help the king against his enemies. And not only did he just have men, just soldiers, but he was able to equip them with the things necessary to be powerful soldiers. Uzziah prepared weapons uh, for them and for all the armies, shields and spears and helmets, coats of mail, bows. And do you know that he's the guy that invented uh, the catapult that would hurl stones off of the side of a wall? You've seen the movies, right? You know, flinging through the air. He's, it says that he invented this, uh, this ability, this, this weapon to where they could throw these stones uh, off of their fort. And so... All this to say, he was quite a guy. You guys get in the picture. He, he was quite a, a notable king. And God, it was God who blessed him because he sought the Lord. But here comes the critical statement. <laughs> you notice at the top of your notes that today's message is called moving day. Moving day. Uh, somebody told me recently that, that moving is one of the top ten stress realities in life. And could I tell you that I can testify to that? It's true. Uh, moving is never easy of any, any caliber. Now, ours is a pretty big move. Some of you have had closer, maybe lesser, but I, any kind of moving requires some um, sacrifice, some hardship. It's going to require that. And the reason why we're calling this moving day is because when we look at Uzziah, he came to a moving day. He moved away for whatever reason from that posture, that position of trusting and seeking God to now all of a sudden uh, it got the best of him. Here's how the scripture puts it. That when he became powerful, when he became powerful, had all of these great blessings, all this great power and victory and conquest until he became powerful. And there's a lesson there. What does it do? Well, it shows up in the second part of our message, and that is simply in his arrogance. Read about it beginning in verse 16. After Amaziah, or excuse me, next page. <laughs> but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah... The priest uh, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn that incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So the priest was bold and he confronted him. What was going on here? Here's the word that comes to my mind, lawless. He had become lawless. 
There are boundaries that are set, and the Lord sets those boundaries. And sometimes our spirit rises up in haughtiness and arrogance and thinking we're the ones that are in charge. We're saying, we're going to do it my way. And, and, and I don't care what you've said, God. I don't care what the rules are. I don't care what those boundaries are. I'm, I'm just going to plow right through those, and that's exactly what's happening. He starts offering up incense that was only reserved for the priests, the, the sons of Aaron, as he said, the Levites. That was the law. And he, did, and he was breaking the law. And when the priest brought it to his attention, basically his haughty attitude said, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I, I want to do. I'm the king. I'm the one that has the reputation. I'm the one that has the power. And I don't care if one of you says it, Azariah, or 80 of you say it. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And um, lesson to be learned, friends, that when it comes to this idea of humility, that, that it requires movement on our part toward that place. Our instinct is just what you're seeing there reflected in Uzziah. It, it's pride, isn't it? It's I, I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one that's going to call the shots. And the lesson is so clear that, that maybe these priests weren't able to stop him. But I'll tell you what, God certainly was, wasn't he? What happens? It says he, that even as he held this, in, uh, this censer in his hand to burn this incense, when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. He became leprous. And if you know Bible history at all, leprosy always was a signal of uncleanness or sin. It, it was always kind of a sign of sin. And it was, there was a separation involved and, and uh, kind of an outcast nature. And so leprosy, that disease, kind of was symbolic in a way. But I'll tell you what, this was, this was no natural thing. This was supernatural. I mean, it broke out fast in front of everybody. Everybody knew that God had just pronounced judgment on this king for his arrogance and his pride. And when it broke out on his face, Azariah probably began to usher him out. And that led to the consequence of the leprosy, which was a life of loneliness. The rest of his life, he was going to spend apart from the rest of society. He, had a, a, he would have a house of his own, uh, could have precious few visitors. He was separate. And friends, the sad thing is that not only in the rest of his life, but even in death, he was not buried near or next to his parents his uh, ancestors he had to be separated even from them in death quite a consequence quite a consequence and and as I looked at this story and I think about this and I think how apt this is I, just in my world I just I think about uh, the next chapter uh, whatever that might look like I think about finishing strong and have uh, desired that I've prayed for that uh, maybe, if truth be told, that may be at the core of, of why we're doing what we're doing and handing off to the next leader of this church is, is that I, I guess I just never want to find myself in that position where I'm clinging on to something because I've got to have that. And right or wrong, I, I feel like that it's an important just even spiritual discipline in my own heart, my own life, to be able to... Um, 
to let that go. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you give your life up for my name's sake, that's when you're going to begin to discover that. And there is a joy in being able to, uh, to be able to hand that off. And I'm so confident in God's direction and his path that he has led us, led up me to, um, in doing that, even at this time. Now, I don't think that um, the journey's quite over yet. Uh, you know, I, I'm not calling this the finish line. Uh, don't know what the next one, will, next chapter will look like. But I pray in light of this story that I will never get to the place where I think that it's all about me or that I have to cling to something at the expense of allowing God to have complete control over that. That's a lesson that I learned from this. And so when it comes to this whole arena, as we've been talking about this month, about stewardship and about our, our resources, our finances, and we lay that out before each one of us. Friends, that's such a fundamental part of who we are and what we do, right? And yet we somehow think, oh, well, I'm, I've got control over that. That's, that's mine to do with what I want to do. And friends, if we haven't learned it by now, friend, everything that comes to our hand is from the hand of God. Would you agree with that? God is to be glorified. The, the ability to make what you make and to do what you do comes from the hand of God. Every breath that we take is dependent upon his grace and his mercy in our life. That's the first place we start. We learn to be content, like Paul talks about, as we talked about two weeks ago, and not to have to have the more, as somehow our life was wrapped around that, whether it be stuff or whether it be position or status or power or any of these things. We're not clinging for that. That is not our life. Our life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so of all the lessons I learned from this king is the bottom line was, he moved from what I would call a palace of honor to a place that was set apart. It was apart from everybody else. And solely because he drifted into this realm of pride and arrogance and not toward humility. So here's our challenge today. Will I move to a place of humility intentionally, willfully, uh, in honor to God? You know, as I... As I thought about this weekend, I, I suppose it's, it sounds a bit trite, but this, this was probably one of the toughest messages I've ever prepared. And the reason why is because I knew that if I started drifting off to the right or to the left and just started reflecting and, and, and going back over what's the last thing I want to share, that, that um, I might not be able to complete that. And plus, it would take too long, way too long, <laughs> right? That's never bothered me, by the way. <laughs> but um, but I, I know this, that my life uh, some 46 years ago was, was apprehended by the Lord Jesus Christ on a little coastal town called Pismo Beach. And from the day that that happened... I've never wavered away from that. And this journey's been taking me from coast to coast and ups and downs and, and all of this. But as I look back and I stop and I, I really think about, okay, Christ, you live inside of me. How does that manifest itself? And if humility was really the, 
the focus of that, it would look like Jesus. And Paul, in my impression, summed this up better than anybody else did in, in Philippians 2 when he said, Jesus Christ, the, the, the ruler of the universe, humbled himself and he became a man. Now, he was fully God, but he was fully man. He became a baby. The son of God, the ruler of the universe, became a baby, a dependent little baby like you just saw a picture of. And he grew up. And he, he devoted himself to honor God. But then Paul points out that he emptied himself of all that privilege, all that status. all It's even unfathomable of what he was giving up just to become a man like us. But that wasn't even enough. He became obedient to God and even to death on a cross. And if I was sharing a last message with you, a first message, any message, I probably should sum it up as Paul said. He says, I declared to know nothing but you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's our message. And as a disciple of the Lord, I hear his word saying, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Friends, the cross was a horrific instrument of death. We know that. But it was also humiliating, wasn't it? To be hung naked before the crowd and, and to breathe your last, going through such excruciating pain. This is what our Jesus endured for us, the cross. That's the power. That's why Paul said, that's what I claim to, to preach is that power of the cross. Because it is all about emptying yourself of yourself, allowing Lord Jesus Christ to take up residence and be the master, be the Lord of our life. And so that, that would be my word to you. Are you a person of the cross? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to set aside whatever it is that you've aspired for, whether it's stuff or position or privilege or power, whatever, you set aside that for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what Uzziah started off with, but unfortunately something crept into there. But if you're hearing this today, and you've sensed perhaps there's been a drift away from that first love that, that we're describing here, today is the day. It's not too late. If you're hearing this, it's not too late to be able to just turn around. That's what we use by the word repent. Turn around Direct yourself to him and say, Lord Jesus, today I'm going to lay myself aside. I'm going to lay my, my life down for the sake of, of your cross, and I want to follow you. Now, if that translates itself into every area of our life, then that's going to include uh, our resources and our finances, isn't it? And only you know whether you've surrendered that dimension of your life. But that's not the only thing we're talking about. We're talking about your whole life, man, signing the whole thing over. So uh, I want you guys to know how much I love you and how much I have appreciated your, your encouragement, your prayer, uh, that hungering I was talking about earlier, uh, because uh, this, this has just been a very, very rich season of Annette and mine's life. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be looking forward to just greeting individuals and do whatever we need to do in the days to come uh, to just express how much. Uh, we have loved and, and appreciated you. So today, as I pray, I don't want to get too far away from what the Lord may be saying to you personally. Is this a day where you're willing to say, God, I'm going to move. This is my moving day. 
I'm going to move from this place where I've been the, the boss. I've been kind of in charge. And I'm going to shift over here to a place of humility. And I want, God, this to be expressed in some tangible ways. I'm going to surrender this area of my life to you. Okay? Let's stand together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer like that. And then Josh and the team are going to come and close us out with a, with a great uh, song of worship. Okay? Father, you, uh, you know our hearts and you know what we're all about. You know us better than we know ourselves. And, and God, the exciting thing is, is when the Holy Spirit is speaking, that, that it is compelling. It, it apprehends us. And there's not a lot that we can do otherwise when you're speaking to our heart. And I'm trusting God right now. There's somebody in this room to whom you are speaking, to whom your word has come um, abundantly clear that there's a move that needs to be made. A move towards you, not away from you. Lord, I know the enemy. I know him pretty well. And I know he instills fear. He instills uh, selfishness, uh, pride. Uh, these are all things, Lord, that, that uh, there are tools in his, his arsenal to try to keep us from that place of surrender. And I pray, Father, that your voice, your still small voice, will be overpowering right now. God, for some of us, this means that we're going to surrender our finances to you and even the means by which we make those, uh, those finances. For some, God, there's, there's a fork in the road ahead. There's a decision. And there's something that maybe we want, but yet we have a bit uneasiness regarding that. We just want to say to you, we want what you want. We want your will to be done right now. And God, in any way that this... This pride is expressing itself. I pray that we will make a move away from that and toward the humility that we saw illustrated as you emptied your life out, became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Help us to be disciples who have taken up our cross and, and are willing to follow you wherever you lead. We love you, Lord, and we know you hear our prayer. You've heard the prayers that have been praying of your people. We pray that the uh, We'll just see you at work in their lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.